Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another brand new episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. I am excited, as always. Uh, I'm your host, film critic, and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And we have part two of our Luc Besson director double feature. Last week, we talked about the unfairly maligned uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets from 2017, which got a pretty strong recommendation from our panelists. Tad uh, Mastriani here gave it a, an on the fence, which for him is a pretty pretty good sign. Uh, but anyway, we're going to talk today about Luc Besson's very first feature-length film, uh, La Donnière Combat, which, uh, again, I'm bad at French, so apologies if I destroyed that. But it's The Last Battle is what it is marketed in the States as. For a long time, this was considered sort of a mystery in the, here in the States, even among Besson fans, because it was not available. Uh, strangely, because the film is essentially dialogueless uh and readingless so <laughs> you didn't you didn't actually have to do anything to release this film other than get a good transfer and distribute it here in the states yet it didn't happen for a long time until canal uh did finally put it out uh and you can still get the dvd out here um and and uh, i believe actually tristar uh, columbia was was who eventually put out the dvd which i think is the most recent u.s release of this uh somebody correct me if i am wrong you can write into colton classic podcast at gmail.com so uh our panelists today are jeff tucker how are you doing jeff I, I don't know what hat is that. Is Jeff just taking a drink of Bonjour. water? Oh, <laughs> what an asshole. All right. All right, listeners. <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you this physical gag that Jeff just did. Um, yeah, no, the, we'll talk about it. He's doing something from the movie, is, is it, but it, it came across as obnoxious. I thought he was spitting out a peach pit. I didn't know what was happening. Um, so Jeff is clearly alive. And we also have with us uh, the the resident lover of French film. I'm just kidding. He has problems with it. Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? I'm alive, but I pray for death now. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we talked about Valerian last week, which is a really beautiful CGI-filled uh, space romp um, with uh, questionable interpersonal uh, romance elements. Um, but luckily, that's a very small part of it. And instead, we get just tons of aliens, action, and fun. Great stuff. 
uh, on that front. This is a very different film. Uh, the first 20 minutes of Valerian were essentially without dialogue. There was like one or two lines by Rucker Hauer and a cameo. Uh, but Le Dernier Combat has only two words spoken. And by the way, they're not spoken clearly. Uh, and the both both lines are the same. It's bonjour. So uh, you do not know need to know any language, really, to watch this film. And it is a black and white 1983 feature. It is uh, staffed by French actors, many of whom are very recognizable. Uh, and I mean, Jean Renault is in this. He apparently got paid 500 francs for it. Um, it, it does a great job. I mean, really, the cast, I think, is quite stellar. Very, very, like, 90s-era independent film. I know this was from 1983, but here in the States, uh, you know, there was a, a period when independent film was, like, all the rage. Like, it was a fad for a while. And uh, it's why we have things like the American Dad spoof episode of the coming-of-age black-and-white um, road trip drama you know like that was all the things like is this a comedy is it a drama I don't know but it's in black and white and it's starring non-actors and it was made for you know 50 bucks um, it, by the way none of those films were ever made for 50 bucks they cost way more than you expected uh, but this kind of experimental cinema was really big in the U.S. in the 90s uh, we got some really great stuff from it like Six String Samurai uh, and then we got um piles and piles of shit from it uh as well uh and that's okay um i think probably the biggest most well-known example that you could say to american audiences would be clerks the first clerks film by kevin smith is is i think a product of that era of filmmaking um like a lot of cinema we took some cues from french new wave and experimental cinema and and so that's why i think this is in the 80s we picked it up a decade later this movie's plot, it is a post-apocalyptic story. Um, some elements are up for debate because there's no dialogue. You get the general gist, but details are murky. Uh, there's a guy, he clearly had a wife and child. Now he doesn't. Uh, he's very lonely. He um, is a loner as opposed to a nearby group of survivors who are like ex-businessmen. They all wear like tattered suits uh, and live in burnt out cars in the desert. This is a very Mad Max apocalyptic desert land. And uh, this, our, our, I'm going to call him our hero. He's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's also not necessarily the best guy, I don't think. Um, he's a survivor. Uh, he fixes up one of these little, like, single-person planes and flies it to a new location, which is a city which has either been bombed out or we don't know what caused the, the apocalypse, but uh, very sparsely inhabited takes residence there comes across a a sort of barbarian type character like the very like the very prototypical uh new barbarians warriors of the wasteland kind of like i am the new man like uh i'm gonna kill everything and take what i want like that kind of character that's who jean Reno plays it's great cast because jean Reno is a very large imposing man and uh, then our lead also runs into the doctor, who is a, uh, he's a doctor of some kind, and he's holed up in a very well-defended uh, hospital or, or, or some sort of um, care center. And what happens is, is our hero gets badly wounded by the brute, who is Jean Renaud's uh, warrior character, and the man ends up falling into I don't know, some sort of crevasse and crawling up and being inside this heavily fortified um, 
medical center. The doctor decides to care for him, nurses him back to help. Once he sort of develops a friendship and, and decides that he likes this guy, he slowly, and guys, I am going to say, this is a movie where there's kind of supposed to be a reveal. We're going to blow that away. So if this is your kind of thing, if you like these these uh, independent films, if you like French cinema, if you haven't seen this and you like Luc Besson, watch it first. I don't think it's going to ruin anything for you because I think in this day and age, this plot has been done many times in many different ways. I don't think it's particularly shocking. It doesn't mean it doesn't have impact. But anyway, the doctor's like, okay, you're all right. And he introduces him to a woman that's kept in a secure cell. And it's very clear that he's setting up these people. And it's never spoken. My interpretation is that the woman was his daughter. The doctor's daughter he's keeping her safe and he's like oh you are a good man you and my daughter should pair because there's no one else and how how am i going to know if another person's a good person um unfortunately the brute breaks in um the doctor's killed by falling rubble which we'll talk about uh at a later point and uh finally the man defeats the brute and returns to the woman only find that she's been brutally murdered and he the film then quickly has just a few minutes left we watch the man get back to his plane presumably fix it up fly back to his office building and he returns to the nearby office dwellers camp kills the leader frees this little person that they have been making fetch water from a cistern and keeping in a trunk they free him very water world by the way uh definitely took it from that uh rather water will took it from this uh and and then the little person is like yeah you're a new leader and he leads him to the former leader's shack where there is a beautiful woman and they sort of have a look that's sort of a knowing almost smile review said it's a smile i don't really think it's a smile for, on his Luke Besson romance sure and I, there's a lot to discuss <laughs> about this because i thought about this because if you look at it from the surface it's it, it, there's lots of weird ways to take it, but I think that there's a, from a big picture literary standpoint, there's, there's a couple of messages he's trying to get across and we'll talk about whether that was successful. Um, this is listed in that, that big book of 1001 films to see, you must see before you die. Uh, I have, I have mixed thoughts. Um, I, I actually, uh, we'll get to everybody's thoughts here, but my initial thought is that without the brutal murder uh, and and the ending. So without the last maybe 15 minutes of this film, it is kind of a delightful comedy in a way. Like it's a black comedy because the world is ruined. By the way, the reason it's without dialogue is because whatever has caused this apocalypse or a side effect of it is taken away people's ability to speak. So what our good panelist Jeff here was mimicking silently was uh, the, the fact that the doctor has found that if they huff I don't know if it's nitrous or what it is, but um, if they huff it from the tank in the clinic, they can eke out just enough to get bonjour out. So they each do that. That's a bonding moment for them because uh, it kind of seems to tie. I, I think it was a nice scene to show like, look how much they want to communicate because clearly these people are not like generations in the future. They clearly remember speech, right? Um, and so the film is is funny, actually. It's kind of tragic, right? But it's almost a comical way. It's a very, we, I didn't talk about this when we talked about Valerian, and I probably should have. We talked about that it was based on a comic, but um, fans of heavy metal magazine uh, here in the States um, may know that uh, it, it 
pretty much originated as metal halant in uh, French, and that's been rebooted a few times. But this is much like Valerian and a lot of, and very much the fifth element, Luc Besson's probably most famous international hit. They are incredibly influenced by heavy metal magazine and metal Herland because they often have stories that are um, about uh, sex, about um, post-apocalyptic future things, death, violence, all of these big like core id elements of, of humanity are explored in these comics, often in very strange, surrealistic, fantastical worlds. And Valerian wears that on its sleeve and uh, Le Dernier Combat does it in a much more you couldn't look at the cover from Heavy Metal and think that this is inspired by it. But if you read Heavy Metal, especially during the 70s, you see how this is inspired by it very much. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting because we still see Basan has these, these very strong influences and they carried all the way back from 83 to 2017 with Valerian and I'm sure still now in 2022. Um, I'll, I'll tell you where the movie lost me, which is also where the, uh, the in port like the big elements hit is when we see the mutilated body of the i'm gonna call her the daughter i forget what she is in the credits uh in the cell it's such a gut punch even though you expect it's that it's coming it's such a gut punch that is at odds with the tone of the rest of the film um for me uh and i say that because i think some people would have seen the utter depression of the film from moment one but to me post-apocalyptic isolation has been explored many times in cinema it just doesn't ring the same way for me that it perhaps did the very first time i saw mad max which predates this film by a few years um so when you when the i've gotten enough comedy elements and sort of gotten to enjoy the day-to-day -day life of these people trying to build some semblance of past uh, historical comforts that when we get this brutal tragedy and we now have like the lead hero's like chance what he sees clearly is the chance of happiness like shattered it, it was just too strong for me it's too much of a beat over the head message and it did lose me a bit i think the end where he finds back where he started uh the female companionship that he seems to want i think that there's more to discuss there but i did have a bit of a uh this isn't exactly what i was hoping for maybe it would have had more impact when I was in the Nathan, 80s. Nathan, you are finally yes, understanding my problem with French cinema. All right, Tad, what was your what was your experience with The Last Battle? It was the same experience I had all throughout film classes, grow, you know, this blah, blah, blah. Tad worked in a video store, blah, blah. I did remember, you, I did love Les Samurai. Remember that? Remember that? I do. I do. Um. I, there are there is a French film out there that I do love, even though these days I'd probably go back and be like, eh. You liked Amelie, yeah? No. Okay, Ta no, uh, Matt did, anyway. <laughs> so my, <laughs> again, uh, lay French films suck. That is, that is, that is how I feel. Um, I, for me, watching this film was, well, look at all these, well, look at all these great cost cutting maneuvers that Luc Besson made to put out a film. No, it, which is convenient. true very convenient black and white very convenient no one speaks don't need to hire anybody who with any talent when they don't talk ha 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 but 
you just that that's my point remember when i ranted about like if there is anything that exemplifies my hatred of french cinema it's the science of sleep because it does the same thing it sort of builds up this it's either a whimsy or sort of a, a, a lighthearted or comedic bend. But remember you said like, is it a comedy drama? It's like, it's French. It's both and it does both poorly. The emotional impact, it's like every piece of like avant-garde French cinema needs to beat you over the head mercilessly with extreme something. It's usually extreme loss, extreme emotional trauma, something like that. And then it sort of tries to loop back. But by that time, you're emotionally exhausted. And you're like, I don't care. Why did you do this to me? It's this, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of that feeling. And people who remember the episode uh, with uh, Dial, what, what was it? Dial Santa Claus? I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, it was, it was called, um, Deadly Games, Dial Deadly Code games. Santa Claus, yes. It hits, and then that movie hit me too hard too early. It's the same problem is if you if you emotionally exhaust your audience, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm the entire audience, I'm not, but for me, it's you're exhausted from that hit. And then the rest of the movie is kind of like, I had a hard time because I would love to revisit that movie just and just take out, take out that whole scene. And I'd probably love it. This right. is, again, it's one of those movies like beat me over the head with yes, I get it. There is loss. I understand that. It's almost like every everything that I ever watched um, in film class that was dealing with World War One or World War Two, they really made sure that you felt the sort of pain that everybody went through. And it's like, yes, I get it. We cannot replicate that kind of pain. And you're trying to emulate it through cinema. But at the same time, I don't want to feel that and maybe it's because i'm american i don't want to f I, I i like when an, a movie makes me feel something but if it if i feel it too Im, uh, intensely i am exhausted and i don't want to pursue it further maybe that's just it's, me it's the same reason why i often don't like a straight romance or a drama it's it's yeah. too much it's too much emotional masturbation for me i don't enjoy it <laughs> i get really tired and sick and i already it's sort of like you know i i there is a level of escapism that i seek in most films yes and i do and i i totally understand you on that front it's interesting because i think one of the smartest things um and we'll get to jeff quick here uh one of the smartest things that basan did is once you get that um, I mean, it, and her her death is brutal. I mean, we assume she's been a, sexually assaulted and murdered. She's we don't see her face, but she's face down in the bed. Her legs are akimbo, and there's blood. It's just it's a really an unsettling, upsetting scene. I mean, it's well staged for the intent that they were looking for. But what happens is is that, as you said, I'm 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 essentially checked out. I'm like I'm like I didn't like that. It was it it took me in a direction that I I didn't appreciate, and then. So he ended the film very quickly. The last, the bit where he literally flies back, which by the way, getting to that point took like 20 minutes in the beginning. When he flies back to where he was, he instantly shows up at the um, the uh, uh, the office worker's tent or you know, camp. And within two minutes, he's, it's the end of the movie. He's free the dwarf, been shown the woman. They have this, this exchange, this visual exchange. And, and it's over. And that was smart because if he kept it on for another 30 minutes, it would have been, then again, maybe I would have come around and I would have had time to process what I saw. I don't know. Maybe it's actually a negative, but I did have that thought. Either it has to end now or there has to be a lot more. Um, and I knew there wasn't going to be a lot more. 
Um, if if you if because if you cut it right there, it could it felt like the kind of movie where it could have been. He sees the woman dead. He walks outside. He looks into the distance, and the movie fades out. Or he dives off a building. Or he kills himself. Like it's that kind of moment. So I'm glad that that wasn't the case. And I, and I do want to talk in a minute about the end after we hear from Jeff because I, I haven't I have I'm curious about your impression of my take on that. And uh, from a from sort of a symbolic standpoint, but. I found the film very, very lighthearted in many ways, even with, um, cause we get, we don't just get the man who, by the way, is, is played by the co-writer of the script. Um, uh, I forget his name, um, Pierre Jovelet. Um, this, by the way, you mentioned the cast. The cast is uh, sort of a who's who in many ways of French, contemporary French cinema. Um, we had uh, Maurice Lamay who played the dwarf, who is in, he was in, uh, he's Pank and Delicatessen. We had um, John Boise who is in many Basson productions, uh, The Big Blue, Nikita, uh, there's, and of course, Jean Renault who is an international star. Um, so very strong cast. Um, Fritz Wepper as well, who is, is <laughs> very iconic as sort of, I feel like he often plays the um, the gentleman, but uh, he's Fritz in Cabaret. Uh, he's uh, the 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 wealthy um, bisexual in Cabaret. So uh, just really, really amazing cast. It's one of those films where you're like, oh, this was the first film for a lot of people. Oh, that person, that person, all of them went off to some amazing success. Uh, and so it's nice to see. But we'll move to we'll move to jeff because there's there's this is sort of it reminds me in a way it's not a similar film but when we talked about um heart of midnight uh, a while back uh, on our thrillers after dark we the, it's just this the symbolism and the imagery and the way that the narrative progresses and where it begins and ends there's a lot you could take out of that and i and because it's that kind of maybe message movie quote unquote i think it's worth looking into jeff what were you expecting from the last battle versus what did you actually get um, well, I, I, I wasn't really expecting anything. Um, I mean, I, I've seen like a lot of Luc Besson, but, you know, knowing that it was his first outing, it was likely to not be lots of money. So like, you know, could, could be anything really. Um, usually when you're kind of, uh, limited by, um, certain things, your art's going to be, you know, whatever you can make it. Um, and, um, I, I like, I do like, I mean, we just, we're talking about another film with like silent, silent film elements. Um, I do really like the silent film in contrast to like modern film because mm -hmm. it's very detail oriented, like in, in, yeah. in what's being um, shown. Um, like there's just, it's just chocked full of details. Like a lot of modern films, like, you know, like I love Ryan Reynolds, but like almost any film that he's in, because he's so funny and he, mm -hmm. and you know, he probably creates so much content, like extra content, like just right. dabbing and like improvising that like the movies it in could be like podcasts. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, right. you know, like what's the point of this being a movie at this point? Like he could just be right. like, just that's be how like, I felt about the Adam project. I'm like, this is just another Ryan Reynolds vehicle to be Ryan Reynolds, which I normally would be fine with, but we have so many. Yeah, so I don't. I don't need this. I love it, and and uh, I enjoy everything with Ryan Reynolds. So I'm not. I, I'm. That's not like a a dig on him. I'm just saying, like the contrast of like, basically that stuff could be a podcast. Like the the visuals are like 
nice to have, but like, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's talking heads, you know, like in in this case, nobody's talking, so like they gotta say a lot with all of the details. Um, mm-hmm. They gotta do a lot of um, really specific things, and they gotta say something about the world um, that exists. Um, and even the 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 scene where there's like two words spoken, it doesn't really the words don't give any details on what's happening, but it does give us uh, more information about the world that we're looking at. It's mm-hmm. not just a bunch of people that don't want to talk or just aren't interested in talking. They like can't talk. And the only way that they like figure it out is there's some sort of gas mechanism that, uh, you know, I don't know, opens the vocal cords or whatever it is um, mm-hmm. allows, uh, allows a little bit of speech, but it's just, it's just full of little details like that. Yeah. Um, you know, throughout. So that's nice. And probably most of like the films that you think are like truly great films usually don't forget that part of filmmaking. <laughs> and so they have good dialogue and they have really good right. uh, visual details. Um, so generally like, you know, anything that's like in that top echelon of, um, you know, any top list probably falls into that category of, um, of filmmaking. So in and that often sense, the detail really is nice. absent. Like the, the detail itself is minimalism. And in this case, Anne Valerian, I think you're right. I don't think it is minimalism. The detail is the details. There's so many little moments. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so in that case, it's, it, it's entertaining to watch. And, um, uh, I enjoyed, um, watching this film i actually kind of expected that i wouldn't because uh you know oftentimes with low budget films it's just um they bore me um just because you know i've i've watched so many things um that when you tell basically the same story as somebody else but somebody did it with like you know really great effects and like you know uh you know million dollar actors and actresses and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They probably did it better than you did with your low budget. But this time, I, I think that there was enough interesting things happening. And, um, you know, Jean Renault was in it. You know, I mean, there's like really good um, actors doing some some fun stuff. Um, but I will agree, like the ending is just like abrupt, very French. Um, <laughs> and like, it's um, like almost like if you if this was like an american film you take the gruesome murder you put it at the beginning and then it's like the reason for everything that happens um and like you know you have your revenge storyline like just jamming it at the end like i don't like i i maybe disagree with tad on like the emotionally like overwhelmed it's more just like okay so that just happened and it's obviously not going to get resolved so uh i guess we're just sitting in it and and maybe that's the the french idea of you know entertainment but maybe less so So, for for me so so let's let's talk about this so the french and again we are not french from france and and anybody who wants to write in any of our french fans i'd love to hear your take on this if you've seen these films or if you want to watch these films and report back uh send your email to colton classic podcast at gmail.com but the joke in in the states is always and other countries as well that i've been to is that french are sort of like um i I forget who did the joke but like uh 
you know, they fucked up. Oh, how like life, give the medal to them, right? Like some comedian has a bit like that. Like they're they're sort of like life is shit, get to know it. Like in fact, uh, in in Nick Kroll's uh, animated show, Big Mouth, they have a joke with uh, a character getting told about being a woman uh, and having a period by the Statue of Liberty, which is of course French as it was a gift from the French. And, uh, and she's just like, life is shit, you know? Um, and, uh, and so that's sort of this, this idea that life is pain, right? Um, <clears throat> and I like, and, and, and I think there's a lot more beyond that as a message in this, because if that was actually the message, then when um, the man de defeats the brute and goes to the woman and finds her dead, we would have gotten what I actually expected, which was either the 70s sci-fi fade out, like, oh, mm. you know, like everyone's a robot or whatever, the sh whatever they do, or we would have gotten the suicide, right? And so, but we didn't get that, right? I think it's important to know what actually happens is he goes back to where he started and ends up with what he wanted. And he, and that's why I don't really think he has the smile that some reviewers are saying he has as like, yay, it's more like a smile, like, you son of a bitch, like this fucking happened. Um, and and it's, it's sort of the whole life will throw you things and it is irrelevant what you want. So you search, you try and get what you can because it's what you want and what you need, but life will, it doesn't care about what you want try to get try to get it and maybe you'll keep it and maybe you won't and one of the things that makes me think that is the the things falling from the sky so uh when when are the man gets to the city when he crashes his plane he gets to the city where he eventually meets the doctor uh for food it starts raining fish of some kind smelt or small trout i don't know what they are but it starts raining fish now one, this is actually interesting because this phenomenon has happened in the real world. Um, oftentimes, you can look it up. It's it's like a, a, a sort of typhoon or cyclone behavior. Like it sucks things up and then they fall down later. So it could be, and, and we know this is a desolate worldscape, right? And when the ecosystem is heavily damaged, things like trees are gone because we don't see any of that. Wind becomes a much harsher uh, uh, danger. That's why deserts have sandstorms you know there's nothing to break it up there's nothing anchoring the dirt to the ground so this makes sense in a way it's kind of an interesting touch that in a post-apocalyptic wasteland literally things could fall from the sky that you have no control over and in this case they're life-giving right the fish they all eat the fish all the characters at that point eat the fish uh for the for their entire time in the city and then when things are going awesome and the the man is finally going to potentially in person like not through the cell door, uh, be introduced to the woman, the daughter of the doctor, I think, um, by the doctor, when they walk outside briefly into the courtyard to go to where the cell is, rocks fall. And one very quickly kills the doctor. And you're like, it's the same phenomena that gave them food has now killed them. And it's sort of that uncontrollableness of nature, right? And then so we get that message. I think that's an interesting moment. Um, mm -hmm. And in that way, you sort of, you understand then the brute, Jean Reno's warrior character's perspective is that, well, if nothing can be controlled or if, not, if, if there's no consequence, like what I do doesn't change the fact that I will or will not have food, I will or will not survive, then 
there is no reason to act beyond the the id the primal desire right all society is gone in my brain so he that is him he does what he wants he kills he fucks he eats he takes right nihilism in my french film ah funny funny yes but right it is (laughs) but that's but that's just one character right he's the one that has sort of embraced the lack of ethics and moral and he is defeated by man but the man who is kind of us in this right like we'd like to think we're the doctor who's like smart and talented and has succeeded in so many ways. He has good food, right? They have wine and cooked food every night. His, he has a daughter who's safe, you find out, or, or a woman who's safe of some kind. And now he has this friend. We'd like to think we're him, but we're actually probably, especially as a early film student making a movie, as Luc Besson was, we're probably the man who is struggling. He doesn't know what or where to do. He feels like he knows what he wants and he, lost it or can't have it and then finally when he gets to the point where he thinks he's he's going to get what he wants it's taken away from him and there's nothing to do because he's already killed the man that that murdered the woman he can't even take the satisfaction in revenge it's already happened right so then something interesting happens he goes back to literally where he started and he engages with the people he didn't want to engage with granted that engagement is killing the leader but and all of a sudden he's back where he started with more than he could have had even in the city more than he wanted he has a woman other people and at least one of those people likes him the little the little person who who goes so and that's that smile right it's it's like what does that tell us as a viewer he left where he was because he he seemingly was it was valueless and didn't have what he wanted and he couldn't handle it anymore. So he left to find greener pastures and then he finds those greener pastures only to have them swatted away and he can't have them there anymore. So he goes back to where he started that he said was shit and gets everything he wants. There's a lot of messages to unpack in there, right? I think there's the idea of the, the, the you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And there's the idea that running away from the problem is not going to necessarily that problem is going to come back and that comes again right with what killed the woman the brute well the they knew the brute was out there and they just let him continue to try and break in they essentially watch him try and break in several times and then they're like yeah you're you're a joke and walked away and what happens he eventually breaks in because the brute is he doesn't stop that's all he is he's a force so at the end, the man is definitely, unlike in Valerian, the lead character of Valerian doesn't really necessarily change at the end. In the end, the man I do think is different. He's more brutal in a way. I mean, he did kill before, but this time he is killed in cold blood. He's walked up to this man and just shot him um, with the doctor's weapon and taken what he wants, like the brute. But he doesn't do it without some sort of kindness to somebody else he frees the dwarf and he frees the dwarf and doesn't ask or do anything with the dwarf the dwarf then grabs him and i'm using the term dwarf because i believe that's what he's called in the credits i'm not trying to to describe a physical ailment um but he then is like repays the man for his kindness because that's what it seems to be just an act of kindness just a freedom by showing him to the concubine who 
perhaps recognizes a face that could be kindness. We don't know. We don't know anything about her story. Um, and so I, I do think he's changed. He's taken elements of the brute and elements of the doctor, and he is now the new man. So it's a very high level, uh, close reading of this story. I do like this movie. I also think that as sort of as Tad, as you talked about, and you, Jeff, you talked about, when you don't have a lot of budget, you tend to, to try and get some sort of big moment, some big aha element to your story because it doesn't need the money of the reveal to be interesting. And so that's sometimes where these independent features get tiresome is because they're not subtle. This is one of those cases where I think it's a, a good example of a good independent message film because two people could watch and walk away with a different, different reading of what it means, I think. But also, as Jeff said, there are details everywhere, not just in the world building, but in the characters' interactions and the characters' actions, not even interactions, not even reactions, the actions they choose to take when on their complete own. And because of those things, it elevates it above a lot of other movies that sort of try to imitate it with the big, as I said, the, the, the joke 70s ending, like, oh, you know, oh, it was Earth all along. And I'm going to defend that. That was actually a great ending to Planet of the Apes. But, you know, but I mean, it's, 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 it's better than that. But it still uses that formula. So I find the formula tiresome, but I find this an excellent use of it, if that makes sense. Um, I do want to shout out too. this is often referred to as the French Mad Max for obvious reasons. It came out a few years after Mad Max, very similar post-apocalyptic world, burnt out cars, crumbled buildings, uh, marauders like uh, the brute. But it's not a Mad Max film. The hero is not on a quest for vengeance. He doesn't get vengeance. He doesn't even really want to fight. And one of my favorite moments when we it's, it's early on when we're told that is not what this is is uh, not when we're, we watch him have sex with an inflatable doll at the beginning behind a couch that deflates. That, that was kind of a, that was a very funny but telling moment. It's, it's also been ripped off by many other post-apocalyptic movies. Um, but it's not that. We get that the guy is alone, it's the future, things are in shambles, and he's trying to build a plane. It's when he goes, sneaks into the office people's little, uh, I don't know what you call it, village? Um, and, and he kills a man in the car, one of the cars while he's sleeping and to get the battery out of the back so he can fly the plane, but he kills the man and then grabs the man's necklace and pulls it off and sees that it's a necklace with fingers on it. Right. Um, and I don't even know if he kills him. I think the man actually survives. Um, but he takes the, the bracelet with the fingers and he's always wearing this glove on his left hand and he's wearing gloves on his right sometimes too. But we realize he takes the glove off and he's missing two fingers. He takes one of the fingers off the necklace, slides it into the finger of the glove and puts it on and is satisfied and laughs. That is such an interesting moment because one, it's like just said, it's a detail and it's a detail that I had zero idea was coming. Zero. Like that was great on paper because that is so far from whatever. Plus it tells us a lot of things that could be true. And at the beginning of this, I said that this movie, because it's dialogueless, it doesn't it doesn't hold your hand. 
Um, it just shows you things and you have to interpret them. Like the doctor's woman is probably his daughter, or at least he thinks of her like a daughter. Um, we also, from the finger, get why maybe this guy is not a fan of the office dwellers because they know about him because after he kills the guy, they show up at his place in the office building. By the way, why are the people who are in office clothes and he ends up having a suit at the end too. So clearly he was part of this. Um, why are they not in the office building? Outside does not look as good. Well, clearly it's because of him. So there was some bad blood. He's no longer part of their group. He's missing a finger. And but he's tough enough that he got to keep the office building while they're sleeping in burnt out cars under the hot sun. Okay, so that is a huge there is so much that we can derive from that one scene where he takes the finger. It's crazy, crazy good storytelling. And it's it points back to Valerian, which we talked about last episode, where the first 20 minutes doesn't have dialogue. And yet Luc Besson told us epic, epic events with just imagery. And that's what we see in that scene with the finger. There's other things too, right? Like, I haven't seen anybody write about this. I don't know that this is the case. But I also did notice, I wondered for a moment if the concubine at the end is a blonde woman. Um, she was actually in a really, she did some American films. She was actually in an interesting uh, series that I don't think people talk about anymore. I believe from the 70s called Star Maidens. Go check it out. Her name is Christian Kruger um, or Christiane Kruger. But she looks, to me, I was like, is she the woman from the photo with the child in the beginning? Is that his wife? Like, is that the strange? I don't think it is, but it was a moment where it could be because you just don't know. You don't have the information. So it makes you think. The other thing that I was curious about is that when we first meet Jean Renault's character, the brute, we don't actually know that he's a bad guy or a good guy or whatever, right? He's carrying a box of supplies and he goes to the doctor's door, which is a gate. And he ends up like it almost, at first I thought, oh, he's like a traveling salesman. He's going to barter goods. But what happens is the doctor sees him, sees the stuff, and makes him go way back. So he goes way back, sets the stuff down, goes way back. And then the doctor opens the door, takes it, and locks it. And John Renault's character runs for the door and doesn't get in. The next time, he does a similar thing, but he tries to create a, 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 a trap where he can pull a string from where he's standing. And it locks, it shuts the door, or keeps the door open, rather. So anyway, he's trying to get in. Well, I was like, this just seems like, at first, for a long time, I was like, oh, this, this guy is just a traveler who's, one, either trying to get the stuff the doctor stole back, or, as it became more on, I was like, okay, maybe he's trying to break in to get what the doctor has. The doctor has food, the doctor has shelter, the doctor has medical supplies. That made sense. Then, it becomes clearer as it goes on, no. I think that the brute was the doctor's first attempt at a partner for the woman in the cage. Let's look at why that's the case. Because the guy wants in. We don't know why. But then when he does get in, we know that the man has been blindfolded and walked to the woman's cell. We assume that's because the doctor doesn't want him to know where she is until he's ready, until he feels like he can trust him. But Jean Renault's character of the brute breaks in. He knows exactly where she is. So what does that tell us? 
I think it tells us that he was the doctor's first attempt at a mate, but he was what violent, unsuitable. And he made the mistake of showing of no, of letting him know where his daughter was. So he's cast out to protect the daughter or whatever, because he's not a suitable person. He's not a good person. And he's trying to break in specifically to get to the daughter, which he does eventually. And that then pits even more the man against the brute as like character types. They're foils, right? The, the pure ego or id rather of the brute who just takes what he wants and the man who considers others. And so it tells us a lot, but you don't have to get that to watch the story. But the storytelling, if you start to think about it, only makes sense when that's the case. And that just makes it all the more powerful to me, which is again, why I think this is one of those weird indie movies with a message that is worth watching, even though I, I didn't enjoy the last part, um, because there's such good storytelling and the plot is so well done, even though the plot seems at times completely aimless because these people's lives is kind of aimless, right? Um, there's no real society left. So anyway, I've babbled a lot, but if, if you like, if you're like me and you like picking apart uh, the, the, uh, the meanings behind the, the symbolism in a film, uh, like Heart of, of Midnight, I'm going to recommend La Dernière Combat. I think there's, as Jeff said, there's a lot of details. And I think a lot of those details are one, interesting for world building, but two, a lot of those details tell us so much about the story, so much. And if you put it into words, the exposition would have been ridiculous and trite and over the top. It would have been, man, I brought up Phantom Menace a lot, but it would have been the midichlorian scene in Phantom Menace. Um, so it's better that we don't get it. So I'm gonna set a recommend on this one. Uh, but if you don't like, if you don't like dialogueless films, because some people really don't, uh, if you don't like films that you're going to think about for a long time, if you actually want the, the impact from it, uh, then don't watch it. But if you're that kind of person who likes film studies and film criticism and also literary criticism, this is one of those films that is probably deserves to be in your repertoire. And I think you'll enjoy it. Jeff, would you recommend The Last Battle 1983? If so, why and to who? Um, uh, yeah, I would recommend. I mean, I think you got to be like really into film to enjoy this. I think if you're a casual viewer, like it's definitely not going to do anything for you. You got to be like paying attention, you got to be like interested in like you know, subtle details. Um, you know, you got to enjoy the idea of a guy standing, you know in a muddy field next to a building with like people throwing, you know, fish at him from a rooftop. Um, you know, you, you got to kind of like get, so many get fish. there mentally. Um, you know, like, I, I mean, I disagree with you on the ending though. Like the, you know, usually the reason you put the traumatic stuff at the beginning, like I wouldn't say usually, but like in, in uh, more kind of like American filmmaking uh, is because you can actually run that arc out. You kind of you you implied a lot from like, you know, was like three minutes of of film, um, which you know fair. You and actually and then that is kind of the beauty of these things. You can you can take whatever message you want from it, right? Like it's fairly open ended. Um, you know, for me it was more just like, oh, 
you know the uh, him 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 uh beating the brute and then showing up at the you know prison cell or like you know protective cell or whatever you want to call it was you know the stones falling from the sky and then he just randomly goes to another place it could have could have been like it didn't have to be his original place it could have been anywhere uh and then oh he's he's given the prize of a woman yay um you know i find that much less likely than actually having an intentional story arc to me that would (laughs) be wildly insane i know but it's because because it just because it but i mean like we didn't know that there was a woman there we didn't know like you know i mean it was just like i don't think i don't think it was completely as random as fish falling from the sky so like it didn't uh like because it was so random like putting like uh intent and thought and like character into it seems a little like you know uh i i agree that he did change though i will agree with you on that that he was a different person um you know he could have just been the brute you know like he could have just been like oh fuck it i'm the brute now you know i'm just gonna go kill this person because that seemed like fun um you know we don't know because it literally (laughs) happens in like a three minutes of of film but um yeah it's i think it's a worthy watch you know you can get you can take your own interpretations there's literally no dialogue to disagree with you so you get to you get to you know put whatever you want on it and there's very little written about this film in the u.s because it was unavailable uh for easy consumption for so long so you'll find a few papers but i'm sure in french this has been discussed end over end um tad would you recommend uh, The Last Battle, 1983? If so, uh, why? Oh, you do? Okay, well, let's move on. Thank you guys so much. I'm just kidding. Chad, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? What do you think about The, the Last How Battle? How badly did you dislike this film? It was uh, on a scale of one to 10, it was French. So, no. But what I will say is oh, what else do I need to say? Nothing. I'm also <laughs> I'm also I'm also very tired. I can't help it. Oh, okay. So, Nate, and this is again, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't mention that it's not that I don't mind a film that doesn't necessarily have dialogue. Wally's one of my favorite films of all yeah. time. And it doesn't have dialogue for like half the movie. But yep. Agreed. um I was having a conversation at some point in the uh, uh in, in a span of time recently where I work in a field where I can do almost all my work remotely. And unfortunately, that also means that you lose a significant piece of communication with other humans when you're missing something such as uh, something as simple as turning your camera on. We all see each other once a week or so, and uh, you you can maintain that connection, one. And two, there's a lot of physical gestures that you miss out on when your camera's off and you're talking to people over something like a, you know, if you're in a meeting, you miss that communication. This is like the reverse where all you see is gestures and glances and all that. And you're missing the verbal piece, which is also very critical to human uh, interaction. So what basically what I'm saying is when I feel like something's missing, I can't connect nearly as well. And the good, and the reason why Wally connects with me is because it's about robots, not about people most of the time. So therefore I don't give a shit. Uh, In other words, French out of 10, no thanks. Bye. You know, that, that's the interesting thing about like, so for, for me, like the the being mute thing was like almost like, oh, people can't communicate with each other anymore. So of course, like 
society degrades and like nobody's sure. you know nobody's doing anything right anywhere but it's kind of funny like you know there's sign language you know people could have been walking around with like you know a dry erase board so they could communicate like <laughs> they didn't try any sort of forms of <laughs> drawing the dirt, plenty of dirt yeah i mean they were they were in an office <laughs> building you know there's dry erase boards um yes it, yeah it is interesting because but also it does maybe speak to like i like the idea of yours that no, I, I, I mean i appreciate that it wasn't no, no. but like you yeah know, for sure like, yeah yeah I did think about writing though. I'm like, why does the doctor like what? Why do the doctor and him not write to each other? But I guess, yeah, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, it would have complicated things. But it does make you think, like, oh, I, again, that's another one of those details that could tell you a lot, right? Like, oh, did the speech leave first? And because most people don't know sign language, and we are all a bunch of angry, obnoxious people, depending on the time of day it broke down so fast that then there was a nuclear incident, you know what I mean? Like, these things, it does beg the question because not being able to speak to each other everyone all of a sudden is a target and they it's like kill first or be killed right like eat yeah. or be eaten. like it, it it degrades to that level of of baseness so i, I really back in do... the 80s like you know uh, text conversation was like i mean we have like you know 50 different forms of text conversation right. today uh, that are very fast that aren't writing you know a letter and then putting it in a box and then somebody will get it like a month later or, i don't know i don't remember how that worked um i, uh, I think you nailed it <laughs> I, like, yeah, like, I liked too yeah I, that that's totally true and i like too that it seems like almost because people can't talk they maybe were even losing really the ability to communicate through text because we see him several times reading a book and he keeps wanting to say the things he's reading and he can't and it frustrates him. And so, and so it does make you wonder if I couldn't speak, what would that do to my desire ability or how I read? Right. Um, so it's just lots of interesting things. Um, I don't, because every, because of the details, I don't think anything is without purpose. I do think Lucas on had, and, and, uh, um, uh, his 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 co-writer, the man, uh, Pierre Jovelet, I do think they probably had a very specific set of answers for this movie. Mm. Um, that said, it's okay not to know them because yeah, it is right, an interpretive right. film, just like, uh, you know, just like The Great Gatsby or uh, uh, any work of, of literature where there's a lot of questions about why does this feel like an ending? You know what I mean? What is this really? Because it's more than just the character's dead, right? Somebody decided to stop telling it. Why? Uh, and that's probably the greatest gift a piece of literature could give us is that discussion, uh, even though it's sometimes irritating. So I, I give it a recommend, Jeff, recommend. Uh, but, you know, if you're if this sounds like your movie, give it a shot. If it doesn't sound like your movie, you can try it, but it's know that it might not be a win for you. And if you're Tad, uh, it's it's a. Uh, it's it's French. Dead it's from beautiful. the start. It's wonderful. It's right. French. Dead from the start. Yeah. I do and I love if you guys go back and listen to Valerian part one of this if you haven't yet, uh, because there's a lot of interesting parallels that we talk about. But also uh I wanted to mention that Tad liked that film okay. So he decided it wasn't French. That was his that was his, his I reasoning made in that episode about for, why I didn't consider it French. Okay. Yeah, so. yes. Okay. Well, you're gonna have to listen to that and see if it holds water. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much. Please listen to us uh every week. Our new episodes come on Tuesday. Sometimes we have extras. I do want to throw out there um when this episode airs on a Tuesday, uh Tad will have a brand new child in this world. He's gonna take over one child at a time. It's just gonna keep happening. This Someone is number three, has right? To do it 
Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know about that, but good, good on you. Um, and <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm kidding. Very happy nine for you. Nine billion uh, to go. Nine billion to go. Um, his, we call his house India. Uh, just kidding. Um, that's, it's, you know, I don't know. We actually, I'm Adjo. so happy, by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, India does what have like a lot of nine billion people. Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't know. That, that might be the whole uh, world, actually. That uh, is the whole world. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is the whole world. So I'm sorry. They're over a billion, but yeah. yeah I it's... don't, I don't know numbers. I, by the way, I live right next to LA County. So I'm right there with you guys. Um, and I do want to give a shout out again to all of our international fans at India. Have We have listeners and I'm so happy. Um, and guys, if you live outside of the U.S., I, you have access to different films a lot of the time. So if you have films that you want us to look at, <clears throat> they may not be on our radar because it's it's not as easy to find those films where we are. However, if you tell us that you'd like us to talk about them, um, I will absolutely find them and we will absolutely do. We have the ability to do that. So please, if you have recommendations or questions or you want us to cover something, write us at Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast, Facebook.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. Uh, you can follow me, Nate Wyckoff Comedy, on Twitter as well. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Please rate us all of the highest ratings wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube, and go to our website, ColtonClassicPodcast.com, and put your email in for our newsletter, which will be coming out in the near future and give you all sorts of cool stuff and info about what's on the docket. We'll be back next week. Have a great, great week. And remember, no matter how bad your life is, there's always Colton Classic Podcast. Thanks so much. And to play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.